it's just spinning. Hello and welcome to another episode of BYOB. Bring your own booze, books, <laughs> boys. We got a boy today. It's always fun when we can bring our own boys. <laughs> so, I am Nola Nash. This is Laura Kemp. And sitting next to her is the fabulous Rob Sanborn, who's here to talk about his book. So, Rob, I know you through Laura. And I am so glad to to finally meet you. I know I've heard some fantastic things about you and your book. So I'm super glad that you're here. I'm going to let you go ahead and introduce yourself to the folks watching today. Thank you. Well, first of all, likewise, uh, Nola, it's a pleasure meeting you. Laura, it's great seeing you as always. And thank you both for having me on your show today. I am super excited for this. Um, and yes, yeah, so I am Rob Sanborn, author of The Prisoner of Paradise, which is this Ooh, i have my copy too oh look at that i know that book um <laughs> and it's the first of a series published by touchpoint press the series is called the painted souls and uh so would you like me to tell you about myself about the book or both both okay let her rip <laughs> all right so first of all about myself um i'm originally from new york i now live in denver via la where i lived for 20 years and I am an author, also a screenwriter, and I have a background in business too, uh, mostly in the tech startup world where I did that for a pretty long time before finally transitioning to writing. When I say finally, I'm still doing other stuff as well. <laughs> Got to pay the bills somehow. Somehow. But, yeah. Yeah, we all have day jobs, don't we? Yeah, I do like business consulting on the side. Um, mm -hmm. And so my book, The Prisoner of Paradise, uh, takes place in Venice, Italy in the present day and also in the 16th century. And it's about an American couple who traveled to Venice on vacation. Uh, their names are Nick and Julia O'Connor. And Nick discovers that his true soulmate is not Julia, but a woman whose soul has been trapped in the world's largest oil painting for 450 years. And so the cool. painting is real, it's enormous. It's like yeah. as big as a house. Um, and the, the content of the painting depicts the coronation of Mary in heaven. So it has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in this painting. And Nick goes on this quest. So Julia thinks that, first of all, he actually had a head injury. So Julia thinks that he's suffering from delusions and is very concerned about him and really just wants him to see a doctor uh, and go home. But he's adamant that the voice that he can hear in his head is real. And he goes on this quest and discovers this ancient secret society that over hundreds of years has developed this method of extracting people's souls from their bodies. And then they imprison them in this painting and he can communicate with one. So he has some flashbacks to the 16th century, and then uh, he's really desperate to free her. Freeing her means freeing all of them, and the secret society claims that all of the souls are evil, so they will never let that happen. Ah, Nola's liking sounds, it. Sounds right up my alley. <laughs> yeah, so all three of us actually have explored similar themes of past mm -hmm. lives and memories. Um, we have. History. I was gonna ask you about that. How difficult is it? Because Nola and I have both written time travel. Mm -hmm. so how difficult is it to to write the dual timeline time travel type um, uh, type of story? Because well, everything is so <laughs> <laughs> um, I 
I love it, you know, I, and I think all three of us obviously do as well. You know, I mean, first of all, I, I write what I like to read and watch. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. So, um, I don't think for me, it's not difficult because I really enjoy it. I would say the hardest part, if you even want to call it hard is the research, you know, yes. going back to 16th century Venice. Yeah. Your the, research is meticulous too. It's like Nola in, in her I traveler know. story, just, I, and I love Venice. I've been there. So it is just, it takes me right back to the city. So you do a wonderful job. Thank you. And I would say that Venice may be one of the easier places to write about in the past because so much of that past part of Venice still exists. You yeah. Know, buildings that are hundreds of years old. It's kind of the same, doesn't it? Yeah, a lot of it real, uh, really is, you know, thank God for the internet. Um, <laughs> Otherwise, I'd have to use something called an encyclopedia. Ooh. <laughs> but, you know, it's not the same. And I did take a research trip there as well. But, you know, and, but you can use things like Google Maps where you can just, like, you know, look around and see, like, these alleys. Like, there have been cases like that where I, I really follow the map and I go around and find a particular place that I'm looking for. Um, there have been instances where... Well, first of all, oftentimes I go down these rabbit holes, you know, like yes, <laughs> oh my God. one word and it'll take me like four hours. Yeah, um, and there was this one, there's one particular part in the book where I really needed to know about um, this little kind of like a wooden sconce in a particular room in a particular museum. And I couldn't find anything about it on the internet. So I, but I did find it in an Italian book in the, in the UCLA library, actually. A friend of mine actually worked there and found the book for me. So I was able to actually find that it. That is a rabbit hole and a half. Yeah. It's a rabbit hole. Well, I do the same literally thing. Literally for like one sentence. Yeah. I've done that. I have spent days researching something for like one sentence, but the sentence is important. Like it, I had to have that sentence and you're like, you're stuck. You can't move on. You got to figure it out. It's, I get stuck on the research too, because I start getting fascinated with things yeah. that don't have anything to do with the story that I'm writing. And I veered off track, like majorly, I'm like, this is so fascinating. And then, you know, I'm telling my mom or somebody who kind of knows the book a little bit about what I'm writing about. And they're like, is that like, how does that fit into the story? I'm like, well, it doesn't, but it's like, <laughs> but it's fascinating. <laughs> you you kind of get that look like, Really? <laughs> oh, I should see my YouTube recommended videos. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's like stuff that goes back like ten thousand years. Um, mm -hmm. Lucky Tepe, actually, which is really interesting. Go check it out. It's the oldest like city in the world. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So, but it has nothing to do with like what I'm writing about. Right. Like I get uh -huh. into these rabbit holes. Yeah, but I mean, what about the two of you? Like, you know, like one of the reasons why I I love the the research because I find it interesting, but I do mm -hmm. think that having that level of detail lends itself to authenticity in the mm -hmm. writing, which I think that readers do appreciate, even if it's like, you know, a very short little clip, you know, what are your thoughts on that? I agree. I think sometimes that I think I'm a little lazier than, than you two when it comes to research. <laughs> I, um, I get into it and then I, I'm so task oriented that I get right. I can just be pulled right back out of it into the billion things that I have to do. So I think sometimes I do this, I call it like the stone skipping method where I'm throwing a stone across water and it yeah. skips and I have just enough in there to make it look authentic, but not so deep that I have to take hours and hours to do it. I, I think maybe when life slows down a little bit, 
because I do enjoy like historical books and historical websites and, and really digging into that stuff. But I think sometimes I, I get a little lazy with that. So well, it doesn't come across. Well, thank no, you. it really doesn't. I mean, and not knowing anything about the area that you're writing. Yeah. I for me, you know, it's, know. you know, so I think you're actually including a whole lot more maybe information yeah. than you think you are because you know it because you are living there, but somebody yeah. else that was not living there would have to research that. Yeah. So well, you know, it, I think there's kind of a balance there. I know there's a lot of, you know, in the new Orleans stories that I write, there's a lot that I know that I'm not researching as much as I might something else. If I haven't spent as much time in a place or, you know, so I, I think actually, you're putting as much detail in it as we are. You're just putting mm -hmm. detail that you already know. And then it's kind yeah. of just woven into everything because it's familiar to you. What if I read about a place research. I haven't been? Ooh, mm -hmm. then I'm going to have to. Have you, have you, you've been to Venice, Rob? So you've, you've been to the city and explored yeah, everything. I've been to, I've been to Venice three times. Oh, um, but my next book, okay. so the next book in the series is coming out in October and that's called Painter of the Damned. And about 25% of that takes place in Madrid. I've been to Spain, but I've actually never been to Madrid. Oh, so this will be new. Yes. Madrid is in Traveler. There's, they spend some time oh, in Madrid. There you go. I could compare notes. She's already done all the research for you. <laughs> My son has been to Madrid, so this is a little easier. And it's kind of like, hey, I need to know. Well, about are you in New Orleans? I, I grew up in South Louisiana, but I'm actually just outside of Nashville now. Okay. Well, I have to ask. I mean, is Nola... Your real name? It's my name. <laughs> Nola Nash is on my driver's license, my social security card. I mean, it is. It's That's my name. pretty perfect. I mean, you can't get a better name for <laughs> Orleans. <laughs> no. I mean, I grew up in Baton Rouge, so okay. but New Orleans is my. It is my one of my few favorite places on the planet. Um, and you know, sometimes you have a favorite place for a different oh, yeah. reason, and so they're kind of like. Mm -hmm. But you know, I always said. My soul belongs to New Orleans. They're spiritual. It's an incredible city. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely I'm not, my spiritual home. Not You've not been, Laura? Mm -mm. Oh, it's amazing. No, I need Girls to go. trip. Um, yeah, we're going to go. We're going to do Boy, what a time. my way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my way includes things like drinking hurricanes in a French Quarter bourbon street bar courtyard with a voodoo priestess at midnight. So, I mean, that's, that that's sounds... how I do New Orleans. <laughs> Count me in. Yes. <laughs> we are boy. Absolutely. Hey, we're allowed. That's we right. Are. Absolutely. I mean, we have such a, a difference in all of the different places that we're actually researching that we're writing about. But I, I think in many ways we're approaching it the same way, whereas it's it's more than just a setting. I think all of the places that we write about are so interconnected to the stories that we're telling and the characters that we're telling that mm -hmm. that they become a character the story. I've character. always said that about yeah. New Orleans in my books is oh, it's as much a character as, as any of the other characters in the book because wow. it's so involved in what is going on it could not happen anywhere else to do the things that it does the same thing with Traveler all of the different locations had to be what they had to be in order to move that story forward and you know the more you research I think the more you fall in love with these places or the more you get fascinated with these places and they really do almost take on a life of their own. We all need a pot, don't we, of the Chamber of Commerce? Uh, yes. When, uh, when tourists come, I said, Preskill County needs to give me a cut. 
um, <laughs> the tourists that I bring to this middle of nowhere place in Michigan. But Rob, Venice really is like a second character. Yes. It becomes so intertwined with it. I mean, I would, if I hadn't been there, I would want to visit for sure. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I kind of did that intentionally. I, first of all, I think that Venice is one of the most incredible cities. On the it world. is. I know. Um, so, but I would put New Orleans up there as well. There are, maybe they're similar there. kind of. They are a little like bit. Them anyways. Yeah. They're both below sea level. <laughs> they're yeah, they're going to eventually wash away. <laughs> and there are these cities that you can get lost in. Yeah, um, which I think is amazing. Um, so Venice does that itself. I didn't really have to do too much. However, it was a very conscious effort on my part to make sure that the city was its own character and in its own right, because so much happens in it. But even when they leave Venice in the second book, it still becomes a major part of the story mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. remains a major part of the story. And it's kind of tied to Venice. Yeah, and I've run into the same thing with the third book that I'm writing for the Crescent City series. The first two take place, and the first one is very much in the French Quarter, and you know, a little bit out in the swamps, but very much in the French Quarter. And so the French Quarter, of part of New Orleans, is really its own character. Mm -hmm. Crescent City Sin, we start to move out into some other areas that are a little different. We, you know, we're down on the wharfs, we're down on, you know, we, we go a little bit further up the river to plantation country, just a little bit kind of that spreading out, but always keeping the French Quarter the central focus of, of what's going on. And then in Seoul, in Crescent City, Seoul, we actually go out to sea. We are in the Caribbean for a while. And, you know, we're, we're on ships out there, but the tie to the French Quarter is still there. And I love kind of playing with that and figuring out how you can keep that, you know, the heart of the story and the heart of that setting while you take your readers kind of elsewhere and kind of fill in some of the the other magical and wonderful things that are around that central setting. I think we've always anchored in that central mm -hmm. place where the heart and soul Yours is too. Is, which is, yeah, which is the Lantern Creek town, mm -hmm. even though they explore other areas and like in, in yours, Rob, Venice is kind of the heart and soul in New Orleans. Yours no yeah. the heart and soul of the story. For but sure. Rob, you're also a screenwriter. I am. And we collaborate a little bit, him and I. Uh, yes. Collaborating on a project. So the world may be hearing this first. Right yeah. So, um, yeah. so yeah, so my writing background is in screenwriting. Um, so I've written nine features, uh, a number of shorts and some TV projects. Uh, nine, five of my nine features have been options. Unfortunately, none of them were ever made uh, into movies. One of the shorts was made. Um, but so there's this whole other world with screenwriting. Yeah. Some people how do you balance this? How does they how does becoming a screenwriter, how does that translate into writing a novel? Because now that I've been doing this process with you, I see how yes, entirely, they entirely different they are. I mean, it's yes. like I like to use the analogy of playing the same song with two different instruments. Okay. You know, kind of like imagine if you're playing one song on the drums and one song with like a like the organ pipes or something like that. Like, I don't know, whatever the most complex mm -hmm. instrument it would be. And by the way, the book side is the complex one. Not, and I'm not, <clears throat> no disrespect to screenwriting, it has its own complexities. Mm -hmm. But um, it, there's a lot of elements of screenwriting that don't require such, you know, like in the weeds craziness. And again, there's a lot that you have to do, right? And like, no disrespect to the drums either. Um, it's no. a very difficult instrument to play. We and to actually play the same song, you know that you're playing that same song, 
compare it to the organ is is actually a very very difficult thing. But you're at the end of the day, you're playing the same song, right? Um, mm -hmm. I don't know the best analogy. Maybe I should think of that's it. a good analogy. I, I think that's a great analogy because in many ways, I mean, you're not the complexity of the novel is having to write this this setting, the scene, what you know, what what is actually the the action that's happening. Whereas with the screenplay, I would imagine, you know, there's there's some vision of that, but you are also leading quite a bit up to, you know, the director's choices and what they decide to do, what the actors decide to do with that, kind of giving them the framework, which to me as a novelist would be really hard to let go of the control <laughs> and say, now you're going to do what you want with this part. You know, we're going to have a big chase scene and kind of this is happening, but, you know, go yeah. for it, director and actor people. I, I would want that, you know, I'd have it choreographed. <laughs> like, this is what you're going to well, do. Like, I would you know, it's so really interesting. Time. Yeah. I mean, I love collaboration. And Laura, I'm going to jump back and answer your question in a moment. <laughs> but Nola, so that's a great point because they're, they're, unless you're actually directing the movie yourself, or if you're really a very established screenwriter, you really are required to be as hands off as possible. You should not, you know, you can put in camera shots and things like that, but producers, if you're a novice screenwriter, they're gonna pick it up in a second. They're gonna be like, you know, this writer's trying to direct this movie or a TV show or whatever um, from the page. And you can tell like, that's not really what you're supposed to be doing because leave it up to the director. So yes, so you do have to, Control. you know, separate yourself from it and hope, <laughs> honestly, hope for the best that the director and the actors, by the way, and it's not just them, but also the editors mm -hmm. um, and you know, special effects and everybody is going to do a great job. And we see this all the time where there can be a fantastic script that ends up not really being that great of uh, a TV show or a movie. And so it, it, it does happen, um, but I do like the collaborative part of it. And so let me start, I'm gonna do like three different circles and loop them in. Laura, getting back to your original question. So I, yeah, so I studied screenwriting for a pretty long time. Um, and I actually originally wrote The Prisoner of Paradise as a screenplay. Yeah. Um, and that's yeah, so that script was optioned by a production company founded by DreamWorks execs, uh, which is pretty cool, but it was never made into a movie. And then when the option rights reverted back to me, I decided to adapt it into a book. Um, and from there, um, it just kind of grew organically. And this is one of the major differences between screenwriting and book writing, you know, especially with when you have things like internal dialogue, um, senses, you know, with screenplays, if you can't film it, you should not be putting it into that screen, mm -hmm. like smells and things like that, right? So, <laughs> good. But, that, I wonder if I had actually thought about that. That's something that we tend to focus on, you know, make sure your audience is, you know, your reader is fully immersed. I need mm -hmm. to know what it's going to smell like. Well, you don't mm -hmm. have that. There is no smell of vision. So yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't thought about that, leaving that sense out. Although they do now have 4K movies, I haven't gone to one, but uh, the new Top Gun is out in 4K, and it's like, Ooh. like the chair vibrates, and there's like mist in, in your face and stuff like that. I did not have it when I went to see Maverick. I did not go see it in a 4K theater. Yeah, I mean, technically, these this was out like I think like in the 40s or the 50s. They had this this type of thing where, but um, anyway. So, yes. So, you know, you always hear the old adage, you know, show, don't tell, but especially in screenplays, you have to really show it and make sure that it can be shown. Um, so, but because when I adapted into a book, all these other elements came into it 
a lot of it came to life a little bit more. And the book grew organically on its own, especially through the characters. And then it became a series. Um, and so, but going back to that whole collaboration angle, so. It's um, been fun collaborating. Yes, and I love it. And Laura and I are collaborating on adapting um, her first book, Evening in the Yellow Wood, into a script, which I think is going to be awesome. And, you know, it kind of works both ways, whether, you know, like things can shift or grow um and i think that it's going to be really really fantastic it is it looks very different from the book and at first i had to be like oh but then the more i got into it i was like this is really i could really see this being on the screen i so, think um, adaptation is a very interesting process going yeah. either way you know going from the book to a movie you have you know the confines of time yeah right so whether it's an yeah. hour and a half or two hours or whatever, you have to jam everything yeah. in. So it's, I think it's really, really important to make sure that it you know, keeps flowing. Mm -hmm. time. Um, that is, as you know, is a very tricky thing to do. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like taking the Harry Potter books. And it's like, here you go, do it in two hours. <laughs> yeah, but then they split. But then it's really two and a half hours and it's part one, part two. Right. <laughs> Several parts. And now we're all the way up here. I mean, I think it's an interesting process to, and you started off with screenwriting and then going to writing novels. And then Laura's experience starting with novels and then going to screenwriting. What an interesting perspective yeah. the two of you I'm have as you're working so together has helped because there's no way that i could have <laughs> wandered into these waters and looked like i knew what i was doing <laughs> and then the industry I side of things is totally different you know the publishing industry versus the film industry is that's even more different it's remarkable and that's why we need each other i think to help you know i i mean i'm by no means an expert but Maybe I've been in the world a little bit longer. He's yeah. been in the you know film world longer, and we can all just kind of help each other. Definitely, fill in the gaps. Yes, absolutely. Which is great about the writing world. I think hopefully everybody's nice to each other. I love the writing community. You know, it's like mm -hmm. especially with books. Um, you know, with with screenplays. Yeah, you're writing it by yourself, but then you are getting involved with other people very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, with books, you know, unless you have a writing partner, you're you're, you're pretty much alone in it. Yeah. The writing community is so phenomenal because it's almost like we're all in our little boats, but in the same ocean, dealing with the yeah. same issues, the same sharks and tidal waves, and and yeah. really working together. And a rising tide lifts all. And boats. a rising tide lifts all yeah. boats. And I, I think honestly, I mean, true, you have different, you know, even in keeping with the ship's analogy. You've got captains of a variety of experience that mm -hmm. have, you know, the, the grizzled old ship captain who's seen, you know, sailed through a hurricane and but they don't they don't necessarily do as well with the newfangled technology that are on today's yes. boats, you know, give them a mm -hmm. sail and a wheel and they're good. But, you know, don't mm -hmm. give them a sonar thing. They don't know what that is. And so you you take the experience of, of some who've been in it for a long time, combine it with some of the the younger people who are, are doing more with the technology and, and the social media mm -hmm. and things like that. And help each other when you all work together, I mean, yeah. that becomes an amazing voyage. And totally, you know, it's like the rule of the sea, you know, you have to help somebody in distress or yeah. you know, help them learn the ropes, which by the way is from a sailing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, Rob, you're giving away a signed copy, yes. correct? 
I am. So yes. Yay. So one lucky viewer will win a signed copy of The Prisoner of Paradise. So here's what we need you to do, guys. I want you to, in the comments, wherever you're watching, post your comments about things that we have been talking about, questions that you still have for Rob, questions you have for me or Laura. And we are going to choose our winner from those who comment on the episode. So you can watch it again. You can comment there. Whatever you need to do, go ahead and get those comments in on the show. And that's where we're going to pick our winner from. And trust me, guys, you want this book. This sounds yes, fantastic. I can't wait to get my hands on it because I've Likewise. I I have your book all in my, over it. My list, yes. I'm excited <laughs> to be a traveler. It's totally up my alley. Oh my gosh. I, I we we're on the, the same path here. This is amazing. So and Combining that with the one I just finished writing, House of Mirrors, where I've got souls trapped in mirrors that I'm trying to set free. Ooh. We have really, wow. we're, we're on, you know, we're, we're two tracks for the train here. And that, yeah. that's, it's kind of fun to actually have that, that seeing the same general ideas, the same thought process as an author set somewhere completely different in a different time and a different way. And I love that. I love it. For sure. And, you know, we, we talk about being, you know, cross genre authors, especially, you know, Laura and I talk about this all the time. And it's, it's always nice to find somebody who's writing something that feels like it's part of what we've been creating because so often cross genre authors can feel very isolated because no one knows where to put our book on a bookshelf. But when you yeah. start kind of reaching out and finding those like-minded folks who are writing those same types of, that have the passion for the same types of stories that we tell, then, you know, that's a very good thing. So we are so glad to have you on the show. Rob, tell everybody where they can find you on social media to connect with you. Okay. Well, again, first of all, thank you, Nola and Laura, for having me on your show. Um, this has been a blast. I, I feel like we could have another three hours. Oh, sure. <laughs> easy. Um, yeah, easy. So we'll have to all meet in person and, you know, where we don't yeah. do YOB, you know, we'll, we'll buy ORB. Um, yeah. <laughs> So one day, so social media, I'm on literally everything. Um, most of my handles are Rob Sanborn, uh, but like Instagram is just, you know, Rob Sanborn, TikTok, uh, Facebook. My author profile is Rob Sanborn underscore author. Um, my website, robsanborn.com. <laughs> um, also on Twitter, Rob Sanborn. And the books are available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and everywhere else. If you want to get it from your local bookstore. Please call them and ask them to order it because they can. And um, yeah, that's pretty much about it. Awesome. Thank Thanks you so you. much. And thank you, Laura, for putting me in touch with Rob as well. You're welcome. So yeah, thank sharing you, that doing that author community yeah. thing where we connect yeah. each other. It's always good to connect authors. Up. It's so fun. I've made the best friends in the authors community. I mean, they're yeah. just fabulous yeah. and laura and i are going to finally get to meet in person in mm -hmm. august yeah. <laughs> finally nashville. after four years <laughs> Where? Killer nashville. nashville she's coming down to stay with me we're going to go to killer nashville the conference awesome um, four-day conference and we should do a byob from there live yeah. we cool. i've never been to nashville i hear great things about Ooh. it it's go. a great place, and this one actually takes place in the summer. It's 10 minutes from where I live. We're at, and it's actually kind of 
in the, it's close to downtown Franklin, which is near and dear to my heart. And, you know, I love downtown Franklin. It's outside the city limits, so it's a little more laid back, but still very much has that Tennessee flavor. So it's going to be a good time. So Laura and I will definitely keep in touch there. And hey, we need to start pulling some people in for Killer in Asheville. So if you got any kind of sense and mystery thriller kind of thing in your books, then Killer in Asheville is the place for these authors to gather. And it's a great conference every year. I'm going to check that out. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, this wraps up another episode of BYOB. This has been a copywritten broadcast of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Thanks for joining us. All right. Thank you.